What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James, and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. We're finally in uh, chapter 27, and we'll be continuing on as we started it last week. Um, today, we're talking about <coughs> excuse me, the soldiers mocking Jesus and the actual crucifixion. And like I've said before, you know, this is kind of a, a part of Scripture that's pretty heavy, and it's, and it's hard to read. You know, we don't always read this and feel great afterwards because there's an intense amount of guilt and, uh, you know, just as we try to sympathize with Christ and as we understand that most of this happened or all of this happened because of our sins, um, that we all have a part in this. But there, there's joy to be found in this. This is part of the message of the gospel. And because Jesus was willing to die for us, this is why we have forgiveness of sin. So let's read today uh, Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 31 to begin with. And let's talk a little bit about the things that Jesus went through right before he was crucified, and then we'll keep going. All right? So it says, Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters, and they called out the entire regiment. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they finally led him away to be crucified. Okay, so right here we see that Pilate's soldiers um, take Jesus to their headquarters. And you got to understand that Pilate's soldiers were different from the regular Roman legions. Uh, they were auxiliary soldiers and were really more uh, likely Gentile recruits from that surrounding area. And uh, they were pretty much Pilate's personal bodyguard. So they're carrying out the orders of Pilate, even though um, they're not necessarily a Roman legion. They're not part of the actual Roman military. They do serve as a visible representation of the Roman government. And so as Jesus is taken to their headquarters... You need to notice that the entire regiment was called out. Uh, this was not necessary, um, and it wasn't normal. Uh, you notice that this doesn't really happen, or we don't read about this happening with the other people who are going to be crucified with Jesus on the same day. But there was something different about Jesus that people really had a hard time dealing with. And you can look at it today. You know, it's amazing how around the world, and even here in America, like a lot of other religions are very much accepted, but Christianity is very much targeted and rejected by a lot of people. And so while a lot of people may be very uh, more open to accepting uh, a person of the Islam faith or the Jewish faith or, um, you know, uh, Buddhist, uh, Hinduism, things like that, you know, Christianity seems to be this this thing that people just cannot accept. And these men gathered together. They call out the entire regiment, not because they needed to, but because they wanted to have sport and Jesus was going to be uh, their amusement. And he had already been mocked by the religious leaders and he had already been beaten by them. Um, and so now... He is going to experience the same thing with this entire auxiliary regiment of Pilate soldiers. So Jesus was a notable man in the area, and uh, he was powerful. People understood him to perform miracles and to do all these great things like 
the word of Jesus had spread rapidly by this time. Most people may not have heard of, may not have seen him, but by this time, most people had at least heard of him. And now they had this man of power and authority who is completely at their mercy. And as many of you know, most people don't handle authority and power very well, and they wield it over others mercilessly. Um, people who have never had power and authority, once they receive it, uh, a lot of times it just doesn't get handled very well. And you see that as this regiment comes out and they begin making sport of Jesus. They're just using him as their toy to entertain themselves. And so um, they begin by stripping him naked. And this is important to talk about because this probably would have been the most humiliating aspect of this process for Jesus. And it would have been for any Jewish man. Um, today, in our culture, you know, we would, most of us would be pretty embarrassed if, if, you know, everyone saw us naked. But nudity is not as taboo as what it used to be. But in this culture, for Jewish men and women, um, their nakedness was very much something that was private and it was not meant for other people to see. And so this would have been very humiliating. Um, so they strip him down, he's naked, and they put a robe on him. And not to cover him up, but to leave him exposed. I mean, he's, he's still exposed, but he has a robe on him. And uh, they're, they're using it as a reference to his royalty as king of the Jews. And so they take it even further um, as they continued by making him a crown of thorns. And then they get this reed stick as his scepter. And the sarcasm is very evident in all this as they kneel before him, calling him king of the Jews. And Romans only submitted to one ruler, and that ruler was Caesar. Um, they did not acknowledge a king from any other nation that they had conquered. And the Jewish people was a nation that, they, that had been conquered long ago. And the mockery is just so evident in all this. And it quickly comes to an end as the physical assaults begin. Uh, and they begin to spit on Jesus. And they beat him and they struck him uh, with this homemade scepter that they have given him. So they take it from him and they begin hitting him with it. And after they finally get tired of their cruel games, they put his clothes back on him and then they take him to be crucified. And, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. Matthew doesn't really give us a whole lot of detail you know he just kind of gets to the point through the story and uh but as you can imagine as these roman soldiers have their fun with jesus once they're done there's like okay let's just take him to be crucified they're just done with him and now he no longer entertains them so now they just discard him to get rid of him but jesus is going to be crucified and so let's read verses 32 through 44 together and we'll talk a little more it said, Along the way they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. <clears throat> and the soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him, and it read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. 
And the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mock Jesus. He saved others, they scoff, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even if the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. All right. So, as Jesus is led away to be crucified, we know from the other Gospels that he becomes unable to carry his own cross. And then this man named Simon was forced to carry the cross for Jesus to the point of crucifixion. Now, Simon was from Cyrene, which is in North Africa. And uh, Simon obviously was a faithful Jew as he traveled an estimated 800 miles to celebrate the Passover feast in Jerusalem in this moment. And the place Jesus was crucified at was called Golgotha, or Calvary in Latin, and it translates to the place of the skull. And this place is outside the city of Jerusalem, and more than likely during that time it was on a well-traveled road, as it was the practice of the Romans to make their executions as visible as possible to the public. So as all these people are traveling, uh, more than likely people are beginning to travel as the Passover feast and celebration is coming to an end, and there's a lot of people in Jerusalem. Um, you know, this, this execution is very visible to the public in this moment, and people, and we read about it in a minute where people are just walking by shaking their heads. But it was common practice, you know, it's kind of weird to read about the Roman soldiers being so cruel to Jesus, but it was common practice for soldiers to have some mercy in their executions as they gave gall mixed with wine to most of their unfortunate examples of death. Um, and, and the gall was used to numb their physical pain as well as make them somewhat unaware of what's going on mentally. But Jesus refused to be deluded in any way as he faced the wrath of God, and he wanted to face it in full awareness and in full pain. And most of us would never dare do the same. And I'll just give you like a little bit of an example. Like there's this common theme among people today, women, um, who want to do natural childbirth. Um, they don't want to have epidurals, and they don't want pain meds. They want to do it naturally. They want to have the experience and the full experience. And so my wife was kind of like teetered with that. Like she wanted to have a natural birth, but at the same time, you know, she wasn't really sure, uh, didn't really know how what to think about the epidural. But when we got in the hospital and the birthing pains really started and she felt them for the first time, all the notions of wanting to have a natural birth quickly dissipated and she very willingly received an epidural with our first child. So it really was kind of, it's humorous. It was pretty humorous then, you know, because we knew she had talked about it. And then as soon as she started feeling some of those first uh, labor pains, she's like, nope, I want an epidural. I want it right now. And, And most of us, we're just not very willing to suffer through pain. I've, I've endured some very painful things in my life, but there's not many things I'm like, oh yeah, I willingly want to experience pain. But in this moment, Jesus refuses any kind of numbing to what is going on. He needs to be fully aware so that he can fulfill the plan that God has for him. And he wants to make sure that he's aware and able to do that. And the Gospel of Matthew is somewhat sad as he simply just tells of Jesus being nailed to the cross, 
um, there's really not a whole lot of description of what Jesus endured in this moment of intense suffering and pain. And the reason for that is probably because most of everyone who would have read the Gospel of Matthew as he's writing this would be well acquainted with the excruciating agony that accompanied crucifixion. They would have witnessed it. They would have known. They would ha- they would be very aware of what was going on. And by the way, if you didn't know that the word excruciating uh, or excruciate uh, was derived from the Roman word that was translated out of the cross. So, so one of the most descriptive words we have for pain in the English language comes from the Roman crucifixion. And this this whole situation is just really, it's sad, it's painful to read, and I can't even imagine the pain that Jesus is going through. And if you're interested in knowing more about the details of crucifixion, I encourage you, if you don't know the details of crucifixion, you need to look it up. I mean, there's there are some medical guys who wrote an article on it a few years back. I think it was called um, The Pain of of Jesus crucifixion and it was talking about just from a medical perspective what would happen to the human body during the process of a Roman crucifixion and it is it's pretty hard to read so make sure that you're in the right mindset and are uh, able to kind of process that information if you're interested in it but I encourage you guys to look that up and uh, and really just kind of get a better idea of what crucifixion truly is because it it is uh, one of the most painful um, things that you could possibly imagine and I would never dare uh, want to go through it at all so uh, so once Jesus is on the cross you know it talks about the Roman soldiers keeping guard over him you know there there were instances where people did live through their crucifixion and so the Roman soldiers were going to make sure that um, you know they they understood Jesus to be this powerful man. Uh, everyone knew that he had healed people, that he had power. Um, and so they were kind of making sure that Jesus was going to fully die and no one was going to be able to rescue him if he lived through his crucifixion. So as they're standing around and they're keeping guard over him, the Roman soldiers gambled uh, over his clothes. And this means that Jesus had once again been stripped naked as he was nailed to the cross. Now, Matthew doesn't say that, but his clothes are not on him. So the, so the Romans are gambling over his clothes. They're gambling over his, his, uh, his possessions. Um, and his nudity was once again on display for everyone that passed by to see. you got to remember, everybody who is walking by, shaking their heads and ridiculing him, the religious leaders... They're all seeing Jesus' nudity. And this would have been just mentally one of the most uh, difficult things for him to endure. Um, So even Jesus loses his clothes in this process. I mean, and as the book of Job says in chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. And Jesus is, in this moment, he's living out so many aspects of Scripture. I mean... He came with nothing in this world, and when he dies, he's not going to have anything. He's going to be completely naked, and his clothes are going to be gone. Like Everything he has has been taken from him. And the prophecy from Psalm chapter 22, verse 18 says, They, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothes. So, so even on the cross, when Jesus seems to be so weak and vulnerable, like he's not in control, he's still living out and fulfilling passages of Scripture. He's fulfilling prophecy. And this is, 
further evidence to really see how in control God and Jesus is in this moment, even though it doesn't seem like it, but they very much are. And it's further evidence to show how important God's word truly is, that even in his dying moments, Jesus is making sure that prophecies in God's word is still being fulfilled. And he's making sure that he is living by the word of God until the very end of his physical life. And that's so important to understand. That's how important God's word is, that Jesus is still honoring it and fulfilling it, even as he is hanging on the cross and literally dying. That's huge. Okay? And, um, you know, remember Matthew in this process, he, he's just kind of getting to the point. He doesn't give us a lot of details on all these things. So he, he talked about the sign being put over Jesus and the two men being crucified him. But he doesn't really give a whole lot of detail on that. But if if you look, it is interesting to note that there was um, there was usually a written charge. It was called a titulus that was displayed or hung around the necks of criminals before they were being as they were being taken to crucified. So once they were crucified, this titulus or this written charge was placed on the cross <clears throat> um, above these men as a, a way of saying that this is what this person was guilty of and so that people who witnessed this wouldn't repeat the crime or they wouldn't be tempted to repeat the crime or a similar crime. So for Jesus, the only thing that they could charge him with was being king of the Jews. And, and you got to remember that the Jewish leaders hated Jesus. They did not acknowledge him as king of the Jews. And uh, if you read in the Gospel of John, um, the religious leaders ask for the sign to be taken down, but Pilate refuses and says, I have written what I have written. And uh, this was the only thing that, that Jesus could be crucified for, and so his charges had to be displayed according to the customs and the law of the Romans at the time. And so as Jesus is on the cross, all right, his sign has been put above him. The, the, the soldiers have gambled over his clothes. So much prophecy has been fulfilled. So many things are being done. And as Jesus is hanging there, now we're just kind of in this waiting time period where we're waiting for the sands of time to pass until Jesus takes his last breath. And the mocking just continues because, you know, it's one thing to to watch something happen in the moment, but after a while, you know, people kind of get bored of just watching watching time pass. And so the, the people start mocking Jesus, the religious leaders start mocking Jesus, they're all chanting and shouting the same thing. And what's funny is, is that even the criminals hanging on both sides start to join in and begin to mock Jesus with the crowds. <coughs> and so, um, it's just amazing to me that even to the very end of their lives, these two criminals join in with the majority in order to slightly elevate themselves above someone else, even in the last moments of their life. And I just want to communicate, you know, that's a temptation for us as people, uh, to to really, we're just always trying to advance ourselves whether we realize it or not. And sometimes we do that in healthy ways. A lot of times we do that in unhealthy ways. And we fall into it. It's not like we wake up every day and we say, oh, I'm going to intentionally advance myself in negative or sinful ways. But we fall into that because one of the greatest desires of our life is to advance ourselves financially, 
us in our in our station, in our authority, in our relationships. You know, we're, we're constantly wanting to advance ourselves and our talents and abilities. And, and I just want to communicate this with you today as we finish up and, and we close out. Um, when you're living life, you need to understand that the crowd is a very dangerous and powerful thing. I mean, when you look at the story of Jesus in these last couple chapters that we've been reading, the crowd has unjustly condemned him. The crowd freed Barabbas instead of Jesus. The crowd yelled to crucify Jesus, even though he had not done anything. The crowd beat him. The crowd mocked him. The crowd taunted him. And the sad thing is, is that more and more people joined in as the crowd kept pushing for what they wanted. You know, in the beginning, it was just the religious leaders in the dark of night. By the end of Friday, as these religious leaders are yelling and mocking and shouting, you have these people who are passing by who are joining in it. You have the Roman soldiers who's joined in with it. Now you even have the two criminals who are also being crucified joining in and mocking Jesus. And guys, you always need to be weary of what the majority of people wants. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about the majority. And he wasn't specifically speaking about the majority, but I want you to look at what he says about the majority in this teaching in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. He says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. Okay, so there's going to be many who choose that way. So to me, what that's what that's communicating is is the majority of people are going to choose that way, and that's why the the highway is broad and its gate is wide because a lot of people, most people, are going to choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. And so there will be few people who end up making it to heaven, making it to eternal life, and being able to stand before God and being accepted into eternity. And so what I'm communicating to you today is that is that the majority of people are not followers of Christ. The majority of people are not living righteously. The majority of people have chosen the world over God. The majority of people are going to hell. And so don't fall into the trap of following the crowd and going along with the majority. That's really hard for us to understand and comprehend as we live in America where we vote on things and the majority always wins. And so it seems like the majority should win. But when it comes to following God, you need to understand that the majority of people are not followers of God. And if you follow the crowd, the chances are they will lead you down the broad road which leads straight to hell. You need to follow Christ. You need to seek God. You need to go after Him and be one of the few that goes down that narrow road and enters in through the small gate and you get to see and stand before God and live with Him in eternity. So be very, very careful and weary of the crowd and of what the majority of people want because that's probably not what God wants us to do. All right? Let's pray. I'll let you go. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day and this time that we have together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for um, so many examples of scripture that we have 
to trust in you, to live for you, to serve you, and to rely on you. And Jesus, we thank you most of all for your son being willing to be beaten and mocked and spit on and tortured and crucified and dying on the cross for us. Thank you for being willing to take the punishment that all of us deserve. And Lord, as we read it, it should tug on our hearts. It should make us sad to read this. But at the same time, I pray that we would find a sense of joy and peace to know that we serve a God who was willing to lay down his life for us. And Lord, it is worth telling the world about. And Jesus, I pray that you give us the strength, the courage, and the wisdom to tell the world about what you've done. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks again for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. Hope you have a wonderful week. And if we don't see you in person this weekend, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or podcast. Have a great week, guys.